Good morning. My name is Narelle, and we're going to do the Bible reading today. It's from 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 19. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 1195. Um, But first, we're going to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with hearts full of gratitude for all that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have come and that worship you and the fellowship with those around you. Lord, help us not take for granted all that you've provided for us. Help us, Father, to have a right attitude towards our material possessions and our finances, knowing that everything we have comes from you. As Paul says in today's reading, help us pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. We can only do this in your strength, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you would be with us each day as we follow you. Be with James now as he comes to open this passage up further. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our eyes to your message to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, starting at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame and to the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. 
All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us here this morning at Living Church. My name is James. It's great to be here with you guys. Uh, now, I did promise that we were going to have some fun uh, on our Facebook group this week. So, kids, I need uh, six volunteers, probably primary school age, I think, six primary school age volunteers. I'm going to give children whose last name is not Snare, that's my last name, uh, first opportunity here. So, if you're brave enough, yes, you want to come down from back there? Yep, come on down. Okay, Noah, yeah, you come up, buddy. All right, starting to get slim on the ground before we get to snares. Um, yep, Josiah, you come up. All right, all right, Zandy, you wanna come, buddy? Awesome, and yes, now two snare boys, you can come up. All right, yeah, fine, yeah, good. All right, uh, now, uh, which, which one of you is the smartest? Okay, uh, <laughs> that was also the most foolish, so you're out. Um, all right, nobody, I believe in you. Come here. All right, all right. So here's the deal. All right, you guys uh, stand up. Uh, and come across. Let's get ourselves in the light here a little bit. Don't be shy. Okay, so uh, I'm going to put some pictures up here uh, for us. Just bring that up. Okay. Josiah, uh, you're Batman. Congratulations. All right, you're Iron Man. Okay. Uh, you are Black Panther. Uh, you're Lex Luthor. And you're Dr. Doom. Uh, there, suit your personality, pal. Um, all right. So, no, here's the deal. I want you to try and put these guys in order of wealthiest to least wealthy. These are all incredibly wealthy fictional characters, okay? So, Batman, Iron Man, Black Panther, Lex Luthor, Doctor Doom, all right? If this is the wealthiest spot, try and order them for me here, okay? You can just say the name and I'll help you with the person. Doctor Doom is, is here, okay? So just I step across here, good, yep, all right. Batman. Batman's in there. Okay, so we've got Doctor Doom, Iron Man, Batman, Black Panther, Lex Luthor. Okay. Okay. And Black Panther there. Okay, Black Panther there. Okay. All right. So here we go. No, you feeling good? No, not at all. Okay, great. That's fine. That's fine. All right, you've had a good stab at it. All right, so let's see. So uh, coming in at number five, okay, with an estimated wealth according to the very respectable website, gorillawealth.com, <laughs> Dr. Doom in fifth place at 35 billion. Okay, so yeah, you can go down the end there. All right, cool. Uh, coming in at fourth place at 75 billion, okay, is Lex Luthor. You go down the end there, okay. Uh, coming in, okay, in third place at 80 billion is Batman, so you jump down there, okay. Coming in at fourth place is Iron Man at 100 million. Uh, you just had the order wrong, like it was just, you, but, but perfect, just back to front. But coming in number one, okay, Black Panther at, anyone want to guess? 90 trillion. Because he is the king of the Wakanda nation, which has the most precious element on Earth, all right, vibranium, all right, I know you guys knew that. Uh, but here's the thing, right? All of these guys are incredibly wealthy. Let's give Noah a round of applause here. Good try, buddy. All right, good job. Have a seat, guys. Now, here's the thing. All of these guys, incredibly wealthy. We can try and order them up in different ways, all right? But either way, we recognize they're incredibly wealthy. So my question for us this morning is, how... Do you think that Australia is a wealthy country? 
All right, now let's, uh, let's, let's try, let's maybe quiz one of the grown-ups here. Do any grown-ups want to try and take a stab out of these five countries, which is the lead, number five? All right? Anyone, anyone take a stab? You guys are all like, no, I just saw the kids get messed up, man. I'm not, I'm not going to try this now. All right? All right, anyone want to call it out? Who wants to guess what number five is? Australia, number five. Okay. Uh, number four, anyone? Is there a guess? You get the UK? UK, number four? For the record, that's not the German flag, that's the Belgium flag, just in case any of you were getting confused there. I know you guys were across it, but just for the kids, okay? All right. Not so easy, is it? Now, now here's the funny thing, right? I can remember the uh, net wealth of fictional comic book characters. I actually need a list for the nations. Um, I don't know how that was. All right. Australia, okay. Median wealth per adult, okay, so that's when you take the middle point of the average. Australia is the second wealthiest country in the world, only behind Belgium, okay? Denmark's coming in down here, UK here. The US isn't even on this top 10 list. So again, this is median wealth. This is the midpoint if you take the average of everyone, okay? Uh, if you look at uh, websites that sort of talk about the best place to be born, like when you weigh up all the different factors and all that sort of stuff, Australia also comes in at number two. Like if you could be born in any country in the world, okay, Australia is ranked number two in terms of wealth and livability and, and all these different things, all right? If you look at a list of the top 20 most livable cities in the world, how many Australian cities do you think are in the top 20? I got four here, okay? The answer is five. As Selena said to me during the week, isn't that like all of them? Yeah. Um, so Melbourne and Sydney there battling it out at three and four. Both, I think, have been at number one at different points. Adelaide, Perth, and Brisbane coming in at number 16. All right? I've lived in three of these cities. There's not much difference. Like, we're, top 20 is right there, okay? But here's where it gets really, really interesting, right? You might have heard Australia referred to as the lucky country from time to time. But do any of you guys know where it comes from? originally, this book. Maybe some of our, our older saints might, might know this one. So this guy, Donald Horn, he wrote this book in the 1960s, but here's the thing, the lucky country was not a positive term. His point was that Australia is blessed and has, con and, and has been incredibly prosperous uh, despite the fact that we, we kind of suck. He said this, Australia is a lucky country run mainly by second-rate people who share its luck. It lives on other people's ideas, and although the ordinary people are adaptable, most of its leaders in all fields so lack curiosity about the events that surround them that they are often taken by surprise. Ouch. Summing up some of the ideas of the book, it says, while other industrialized nations created wealth using clever means, such as technology and other innovations, Australia did not. Rather, Australia's economic prosperity was largely derived from its rich natural resources and immigration. Horn observed that Australia showed less enterprise than almost any other prosperous industrial society. But that was the 1960s, right? You know, not, you know, not all of us were around back then. Surely that's the problems of a bygone era. That's not us anymore, right? But are we perhaps the lucky country still? According to this article from 2023, Australia has got a dud report card on innovation and entrepreneurship in 2023. The core reason Australia lacks 
uh, sorry, ranks as low around ideas and innovation is the lack and number of complexity of the products successfully exported. And according to the Swiss report that backs this up, Australia was sixth last on economic complexity. Traditional industrial powerhouses, Japan and Germany, lead the rankings where Australia sits with the miners and farmers as we have since at least World War II. We rank 19th in competitiveness, but that's down nine spots since the mid-2000s. And in productivity, we are the 46th ranked nation in the world. So as Australians, we are among the richest people in the world. And this is true despite a lack of entrepreneurship, technological innovation, and dropping productivity. Now, before we start to beat ourselves up too much, good news. This isn't actually just an Australian phenomenon. Right, you can see this sort of trend more widely, that incredibly wealthy people have gotten there, not so much by their own capabilities, but by what we might call luck. So in a list of the 75 richest people in human history, 14 of them are Americans born within nine years of each other. So in all of human history, the 75 wealthiest people, 14 born within a decade of each other. This list includes people like Rockefeller and JP Morgan. These, live, these 14 live between the 1860s and 1870s, and two things happened during that time, as it says there, the expansion of railroads and the creation of Wall Street, an opportunity to build wealth like no other before. So these people had skills, but they were born in the right place at the right time. And you might say, well, again, that's, that's so long ago. That's like 150 years back. Does that still hold back? Let's just go back a generation or so ago uh, to dudes like this. Bill Joy, creator of the JavaScript, but also ran Google for a while. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, of course, Apple, and Eric Smith, the guy that invented the Unix coding system, were all born within a three-year window. Now, we can dig in. There's, there's, a, there's a, at least a pretty good possibility of why this is the case. In 1975, the first home computer was available at a reasonable price. If you were born before 1954 and you were interested in computers, you probably had a job at IBM already. If you were born after 1956, you were still in high school. But if you were born be between 54 and 56, you were in college with time to burn, learning to code and program, and had an advantage over all others. Wealth is a product of context every bit as much as it is individual effort, and talent. And so now, with that in mind, we ask the question, how wealthy are you? Uh, the font is a little bit small. It was hard to, to magnify this up. There's various websites that do this. I've, I've just used the one. Okay, But uh, if you have a household income with two adults and two kids of just 33,800, that puts you on the poverty line here in the, the suburbs that we live in here in Karina and the, the sort of extended area, right? That's the poverty line. Anybody want to guess what percentage of wealth you are, like what percentile of wealth you're in? Not quite. You're in the top 75th percentile. If you have the average income for Brisbane, for somebody in this situation, it's 128,000, again, two adults, two kids, all right? You are in the top 3.8%. If you have the average for, again, these six suburbs that surround our church here, two adults, two kids, you are in the top 3.2%. Uh, if, hypothetically, you're a minister with two kids and a working wife and four, ch four, four children and two adults, 
put your package together for your household. 4.7. But if you're on this mark, 200,000 combined, which, let's be honest, more than a few of us are, you're in the top 1.4% of the global population. So when we ask the question for most of, most of us, really all of us, when we ask the question, how wealthy are you, the answer is really, really wealthy. And it's worth drawing all this out because when we hear that Bible reading that Narelle read for us so clearly before, it's so easy for us to think that when it says, command those who are rich in this present world, to start thinking about that person down the street that has more than you. It's so easy to start thinking about those people that live in this slightly nicer suburb. We tend to define the people who are rich around us as those who have more than us. But the reality is, is that we experience a level of wealth right now that put us in the top echelon in all of human history, and even comparatively in the top percentiles in terms of global wealth at this moment. When we read this passage, it is foolish to think that it is speaking to anyone apart from us. And so it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Who are the wealthiest people in human history? Those that are in the right place at the right time. But instead, they put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of a life that is truly life. The point of this week's sermon is to say that wealth is dangerous. You can think about this sermon and next week really as one sermon combined. Right? We're only going to go so far today in breaking things down. That's why I'm spending so much time looking at some cultural stuff and that sort of stuff. We're going to look today at the six dangers of wealth. And next week, we're going to look at the blessings of wealth. In some ways, what we're doing this week is just diagnosing the problem and confronting ourselves with the reality of the situation that we live in as those who are incredibly rich in this present age. And so we're going to spend most of our time looking at this, the, the, the warnings, the, the danger that we actually all live in. Because the Bible speaks about wealth like it speaks about fire. It's a good thing, but it's dangerous. There's nothing inherently wrong or evil about wealth, but it's also incredibly dangerous for our souls, for our eternal lives. And so we need to be aware of this as people who live in this moment in history amongst the top percent of those in the world, not just now, but for all time. So six dangers of wealth. Let's start with number one. First danger is the love of money. Again, from the reading that we heard just a little bit earlier, uh, but godliness and contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, 
But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with what we have. But those who, are ri- who, those who want to get rich, a desire to be rich, okay, desire comes from when we, we love something, we want something, we feel like we need something. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. See the connection that Paul is making here in this letter to his disciple Timothy. Those who want to get rich, if that's your goal, then those who do this fall into temptation and a trap. Now, this is what we call a truism. He is not saying that this will happen in every single instance. Okay, it's like a proverb. It's a true statement, but that doesn't mean it's a rule. It doesn't mean it's a formula that just God executes every single time. But it is a truism. The general principle is that those who desire to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and in many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some of you might be familiar with the old King James translation, that money is the root of all evil. That's, that's not what it means there. It's, it's all kinds of evil. There's all these different types of evil that the love of money will lead you into. And in fact, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you love money too much, it can lead you away from God. And kids, there is an awesome Bible story that I'm going to play a video for you guys now so you can see this little story play out. So, Richard, we can bring that first one up when you are ready, my friend. Not that one. Not that one. That one. People, what to do. A rich young man followed him. He wanted to hear Jesus too. Good teacher, said the rich young man. Please tell me what is good so that I can please my God and do the things I should. Jesus turned to look at him. His heart was filled with love. Keep the commands, he told the man, that were sent from God above. The young man then asked Jesus, which commands must be done? He wanted to make sure that he did not miss a one. Jesus told the rich young man, don't lie or cheat or steal. Honor your father and mother and never ever kill. The rich young man was happy He was filled with lots of joy. He had followed these commands from the time he was a boy. But Jesus wasn't finished. There was one thing more. You must sell all your goods and give the money to the poor. The rich young man was shocked. He was very, very sad. For you see, he loved his money, and he liked the things he had. He thought for just a moment about what Jesus said. Should he obey Jesus or keep his things instead? 
he soon made up his mind that he would not obey. He loved his things too much. Sadly, he turned and walked away. Jesus then explained to those who stood nearby that people who love money won't go to heaven when they die. So when we think of money, we should remember this young man and never let material things keep us from doing God's commands. All right. It's a really good story, right, kids? Because it helps us to see that even if we want to obey God, even if we want to do the right things, even if we want to think about living forever, if we have a love of money in our heart that means we love money and things more than God, then we are going to walk away from him at some point. And so again, all the things that you have, the money in your piggy bank or the money in the the bank account that you've set up at school or something like that, these aren't bad things. But if we start to love those things more than we love God, our hearts are going to lead us into trouble. In fact, the disciples in Jesus' time were so amazed at this, they were like, if the rich can't get into heaven, who can? Because they thought to themselves, if the rich who have been blessed by God can't get there, then who can? Jesus said it's harder for somebody to pass through the eye of a, sorry, harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, like that little tiny, tiny bit at the top of a needle that mom or dad might use when they're sewing something. It's harder for a rich person to enter a heaven than for a camel to pass through that. If we, if we love money, our hearts are in danger. So that's point number one. Second one is this, is that the uh, danger of wealth is that we might trust in wealth rather than God. And I'm trying to click on Richard. I'm not sure what's happening. There it is. All right, point number two, danger of money. We might trust in wealth rather than God. So Matthew 6, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He then says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Because here's the thing again, money can do things for us. can provide us with all sorts of different things, just like a good master does. Provides shelter, protection, security in this world. There's all sorts of things that money can give to us. Pleasure, fun, entertainment, amazing experiences. But you can only have one true master. And it's a question of which one are we going to serve. Now, kids, I have another video. I've got this is the second of three that I've got for you today. Okay, we're going to have this one, then we'll have a bit of a break, and then another one a little bit later on. But listen again to this man and the choice that was before him about whether he was going to trust in his money and his things or in God. Thanks, Richard. One day, a crowd gathered around Jesus to hear him talk. The crowd was so big that people were stepping on each other. Hey, watch out! 
Jesus was talking to his disciples when someone called out from the crowd, Hey, Jesus! Teacher, tell my brother to divide with me the property our father left us. Ah, uh, hold on there. Jesus said, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Be careful and guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life is not measured by the many things he owns. Huh? Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Hmm. Ah, I got it. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. <laughs> now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> but God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. <laughs> Wait, what? Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The man is foolish in this story because he trusts in all of his wealth, thinking that this is what will bring him peace and comfort and safety and security, and he forgets that life is much, much bigger than what we just have in this world. He thinks that his wealth in this world will be enough to keep him safe and happy forever, but we all will die and face the judgment of God, and the question of where we spend eternity will be determined not by how big our bank accounts are, but about whether we love God more than anything else. So, the love of money, trusting in wealth rather than God. Third one, we in our richness can become oppressors of the poor. Listen to this one. From James chapter 2, he says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? but you have dishonored the poor. When we start to follow worldly wealth more than anything else, if we think that richness is the maximum value to be achieved in our society, if we look at those people and admire and esteem them above all others, then it means that we naturally start to discriminate against those who do not have. We meet people that don't have the same blessings of wealth that we have, whether it's education. We don't think that they speak as well as us. They're not able to engage in the same sort of ideas that we engage in. They're not able to live in the same, sorts of the same parts of town that we are able to live in. We go into their spaces and we feel uncomfortable because these are not our people. And if we love wealth and money and value that more than anything else, we can start to look down on those who are made in the image of God just as we are. 
We start to see them as less than us because they don't have the same blessings as us. But as we've already established, so often wealth is a product of context and God's providence, where we were born and when, rather than some sort of sense that we have built up our own kingdoms and empires. This is what's said in the book of Amos. Amos was a prophet in the Old Testament, very concerned about oppression of the poor and, and about economic imbalance. He says this, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. We have cheap goods that come from all over the world's and we don't think about the conditions and environments that they live in in order that we can get cheap goods and continue to expand our wealth. Now, guys, I don't want to stand up here and pretend that I live perfectly in this space or in this area or anything else like that. This is part of the trouble that we find ourselves in. We are so saturated in wealth, and we exist in a culture and a society where the structural pillars of our culture and society means it's so complex, it's so hard to avoid some form of us building our wealth off the back of those who have less than us. But these are things to be mindful of. It, it, it would be irresponsible us to simply ignore those issues because it's hard, because it's complex. We have to think again about what do I value, what do I buy, why do I do, what am I getting from it? and actually look down the line at how do others live and how is their sacrifice meant that I can have more. Next up is worry. Last video for today, kids, so enjoy this one. All right, play this one for you now. Another little parable of, well, another wisdom lesson from Jesus. One day, Jesus was speaking to thousands of people. Jesus! When someone asked him about money, he told them a story and tried to explain to the people that our treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. Then he turned to one of his disciples and said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food, and your body more than clothing. Uh, yes. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, because God feeds them and you are far more valuable to God than any birds. Yeah, I think so. Do you think that by worrying about anything, you can add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't do a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? That's a good point. Look at all the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, the great king of Israel, in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown away tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. And don't worry about what to eat or what to drink. Uh, okay. Many people worry about these things, but God already knows what you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, for it makes God happy to take care of you and give you His kingdom. So share what you have with others and give to those who need. There you go. Let's go. Sorry. Then you'll be storing up treasure in heaven. And when your treasure is in heaven, it's going to be safe. 
No thief can steal it. And no bug can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to think more next week about that idea of being generous and sharing and, and all that sort of stuff. But the first part of that parable is that when we focus too much on wealth and riches, then actually becomes a source of anxiety for us. We start to worry, do I have enough? Is it going to run out? What so often stops us from being generous, what stops us from following the Lord is this fear that if I don't have enough money, then I'm going to miss out or I will not get to enjoy the things that I love to enjoy or I'm going to have to make sacrifices or I'm going to have to go without or I'm going to lose the status and the standing that my wealth gives to me. Having lots of money can actually lead to more worry and anxiety than if you are simply without and learning to be content without all those things. Uh, somehow I've got my numbering out of line here. I just realized this. This should be number five. I think I fixed it on the next slide. Uh, but the other thing is, is that money removes restraint. 15, you're out of six. Almost there. Those who want to get rich, okay, again, those who desire, those who love money, fall into temptation and a trap and in many foolish and harmful desires. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been without something and then all of a sudden had the means to achieve it and now there's all sorts of new temptations that come? If you don't have thousands of dollars in the bank, it's pretty easy actually to not you know, uh, be greedy because you don't have much to be greedy with. But all of a sudden, if you've got thousands of dollars that you've never had before and then all of a sudden, what does it mean for me to be generous? It's one thing when I've got $50 in my pocket to give away five. It's another thing when I've got $50,000 in the bank to give away 5,000. That hits different, right? When we have less things, there are more restraints in place that stop us from imagining the getting of more. But when you are wealthy, it removes all sorts of limits. All sorts of things are open to you that were never possible before. Now that as we'll talk about next week, opens up the door for all sorts of means of generosity, but it also opens up the door for all sorts of greed and other forms of temptation. And so being rich magnifies our temptation. And the last one, finishing up with today, is that the rich can fall into the trap of being prideful and arrogant. As it says in Proverbs, the rich are wise in their own eyes, one who is poor and discerning, sees how deluded they are. In Deuteronomy it says, Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build the houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is to this day. Friends, if you are wealthy in this room, as I'd again just like to say, we all are, I don't want to deny the skill that you have at your job. I don't want to deny your financial wisdom. I don't want to deny the cleverness that you showed in making certain investments and all this sort of stuff. 
But it is foolish and it's arrogant to think that the wealth that we have is a result of our awesomeness and not God's blessing upon us. Whether it was the place he chose to have you born, whether the gifts and skills that he gave you, the people that he put around you, whatever it may be, our wealth is a gift from God. And we need to remain humble before that. And so my last thought for us today as we finish off is just remember that wealth comes from Christ. But what we need to understand is that the the true wealth that Christ gives us that's going to set us up for next week, for the blessings of wealth and being able to navigate these dangers and do good with it, is recognition that there is a wealth that Christ gives us that's so much greater than the material things of this world. So as Paul writes in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one that he loves. There is a blessing and a richness that we have in Christ every Spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is ours when we believe and trust in Jesus. And as we're going to see next week, the way to avoid these dangers and the way to enjoy the blessings of wealth is to have as this starting point an understanding of what true riches in Christ is. Now, if this feels a little bit incomplete, that's fine. Like I said, this is really one sermon stretched over two weeks. But may I encourage you guys this week as the application to actually think, Where is my heart at when it comes to money? If we lost it all, if we had to move, if we dropped down from the 99th percentile to the 75th percentile, what would that mean for us? How would I feel about God? Where would my heart be at then? Do we think about our money in ways where we seek to do good with it? Have we been aware of the dangers? Have we been swimming into temptation that leads us to ruin and destruction because of our wealth? Have we made wealth the thing that we're looking to build more than even the house of faith in our own homes? These are the questions that we need to wrestle with as those who are rich in this present world. And next week, we're going to think more about what it looks like to do it well. So let's pray now. And let's look forward to next week together. Father God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done. Thank you that Jesus spoke on this so frequently and gave us wisdom on what it is to live with wealth, for how we can do it well. But but this week, Lord, help us to recognize that we are a people in danger. That the biggest danger for us in this world is not politically motivated, it's not humanly motivated. It's not anything in this world, but rather it's, it's the powers and principalities at work that would make us love money more than you. That, that our wealth and the riches that you have blessed us with bring with it great danger. Thank you for entrusting us with this wealth. Thank you for the privileges and the blessings that you've given to us. But Lord, please give us the wisdom also to be wise, to recognize the danger that we are in, and to invite your spirit in to cleanse our hearts more and more so that we use money as the tool that it is and not make it the master of our lives. So give us wisdom this week as we reflect on these words and may we be changed and transformed by the power of your spirit as we look at this again next week and think about how we can do wealth well. 
And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.